Okay, we're seated comfortably? Absolutely. Good. Yes, perfect. Well, welcome um, to another episode of uh, the Pipe and People's podcast. Um, so today I am uh, humbly joined by uh, Fanula. Thank you very much for, uh, for being here with us today, Fanula O'Connor. Um, so Fanula, I think it's fair to say your, your background is what I would call a serial entrepreneur. Um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so you've um, so let's let's sort of start from from the beginning then. So you started uh, Matchpoint Careers over in New York. Um, you, you kind of built that business, sold that business, uh, then moved on to start Weevolve, um, another another organisation, and then most recently you founded Project Kindy as well. Um, and I think it's fair to say, no doubt, we'll talk about the different business models and the kind of different uh, different businesses and what they do throughout this uh, this chat. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that the kind of core thread that runs throughout all of those is uh, you know some form of artificial intelligence or AI. Um, you know, it's solving problems for people basically. So uh, we thought that would be quite a useful theme for today's chat, really, to talk about AI. You know what it is, and you know kind of how as humans we you know, are starting to interface with it more and understand it and coexist alongside, uh, you know, what, what potentially AI could be. Um, so uh, feel free at any point to talk about whatever you want, by the way, but, you know, just as a rough, <laughs> rough theme, I thought that could be quite a good place to start. That's absolutely what I'd love to talk about, so. Cool, perfect. So um, maybe then if we start quite, you know, high-level overview with it all, um, what is your take on how the world kind of feels about AI at the moment, you know, kind of what's the general public's understanding of it, you know, um, and you know, how do people kind of feel about the way it impacts our life at the moment? Well, I think um, most people feel vaguely or very precisely scared. Um, we hear a lot about AI taking over the world. We hear a lot about slaughter bots. Um, it all seems really... <laughs> the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, the movies. I mean, we've all... I remember watching Blade Runner an embarrassingly long time ago when it first came out <laughs> and thinking, wow, isn't technology cool? And still, I can't do in a domestic setting what I saw on the screen. So I think that we have really precise ideas of what AI that actually have very little to do with what's really going on around us. But there is a lot going on around us. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's absolutely, a bit... Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the movies have got a lot to answer for, really, haven't they? In terms of, you know, kind of the first depiction of AI are these kind of robots that sent back in time to kill us, you know, what's that about? <laughs> Couldn't be like a useful computer system or something like that. Well, I suppose that wouldn't be a very good, uh, very good story, would it? Well, but I think that the, the movies did get so many of us interested in technology. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember when um, I was first introduced to computers, I had a friend whose dad worked at IBM. And back then, computers were probably as big as this entire office suite. Mm. Um, they had weird paper that we used to get to do our colouring on. Um, and I would kind of look at the back of the, this paper and I'd just see strings of numbers and things that weren't even numbers or letters. Mm. And it just looked confusing, impossible. Whereas I think when the movies came along, suddenly we thought, oh, this is something people can do. And actually, technology isn't just something that you put in the box at IBM and mm. nobody ever looks at. It's something that could be in our lives. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's just more and more now you're starting to, it is starting to really take a, a hold on your, your life at home, you know, and you, you're kind of in your kitchen. I was yesterday, my uh, mother-in-law, thankfully, uh, bought us a uh, Amazon um, 
Echo, I think Echo, yeah. Echo screen. Yeah. Uh, mainly to entertain the kids while they're eating their dinner and it's an absolute godsend. But, you know, I was kind of there with the phone pressed against my ear and, you know, sort of chopping away and I was kind of able to talk to this device and, you know, it's, it's incredible really how AI has evolved in just the short space of time, you know, that you know, it's, it's actually been around. Um, so, what do you feel are the kind of greatest challenges that we face as people? You know, when we're thinking about kind of starting AI systems, mm. um, you've obviously had experience of, of starting a number of businesses where AI is at you know, the heart of the business. What do you think are the kind of greatest uh, mistakes that people make or the kind of false assumptions that they make when um, looking to kind of create a system? Um, well, I can talk a bit about some of the mistakes I've made. I think um, the first thing that actually you know I've made mistakes in but it's really important to get right is get the right team together mm. now part of that are the people who will build the model so your data scientist or whatever they want to call themselves yeah um, you, you need somebody who actually is prepared is interested in what you're working on um, that's the first bit, but that's actually not where it stops, that's where it starts. Then you've got to think, well, okay, what am I building here? And, I mean, the, the models that I've been building have used data that either doesn't exist yet, um, is in multiple formats, they're all completely incompatible, um, is full of holes, is not actually um, particularly clean inherently. Um, I mean, if you, all my companies have been based around trying to help people work better. So this is data that's about how people do their jobs, and some of it's people talking about how they do their jobs. That's not neutral, it's not simple. So just you know, doing simple word search co you know, coding matches gets you somewhere, but it can actually get you somewhere you don't really want to go. Absolutely, um, yeah. So I mean, that's, that's a mistake. Um, I actually think it's absolutely fine to make mistakes because this is a new field. Mm. Um, I mean, I first started working and I even actually before my entrepreneurial things, I did an intrapreneurial. Um, we didn't call it AI then. I think we, I think we called it e-business or yeah. computers or something <laughs> like that. And that was yeah. back in 1999. And it, nobody knew what we were doing. Nobody knew what this stuff could do. Um, we were constantly pushing up against the unknown. So you're going to make mistakes. And actually, if I've learned anything as an entrepreneur, it's don't worry about the mistakes. Worry about the recovery, because that's when you learn the most. That's what pulls your team together. Mm. And, it, you know, that's actually what I think the thrill of being an entrepreneur is. Yeah. It's, you know, the successes are great, but actually it's when you've recovered from a mistake that you thought was terminal that, you know, that it's really fun. It's, yeah. it's really worth doing. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's difficult when you're in that situation. You made the mistake to kind of frame it in a positive way, but often in retrospect, like you say, you're either the way I, it's one of my favourite phrases actually is I don't I don't fail in life. I like, I either win or I learn. I think that's yes, a good way to absolutely. look at things. Every failure is just a, a lesson, isn't it? As much as it can hurt at the time. Well, and it's, it has to be a shared lesson too. I mean, it's very rare, sadly, that it's just one person's fault. Yeah, true. It's almost Thank all... You. <laughs> you know, well, if it is, it's usually been mine. Um, but I think it's... What failure tells you is it really tells you how a system works. Because when something goes wrong, it's not always obvious where the problems occurred. So if it's in the model, it's, you, know, you have to actually really... How, what are the assumptions in this model? How are these factors working together? Mm. If it's 
in the sort of the broader area of how the model's been deployed into production or how it's been used, you've got a whole host of other issues that could be the, the where the problem is. But when you're looking for the problem, you actually get a real understanding of how the whole thing works. And what I've sure. found is that, you know, when you're doing that as a team, people will notice things mm. that are ways you can improve, are actually great features that you should be building out. Yes. Um, it's honestly it is the best learning experience as you say yeah um and you know it happens a lot when you're a startup so you get used to it yeah i can imagine um so you talk about the problem the business problem it's it's quite an interesting um application of intelligence Mm. i suppose or computer systems like say the key key thread that's run throughout all of your businesses is how do you um help people work better together so where did the, the drive come from for you to um, use artificial intelligence. It's quite a, I suppose, an esoteric uh, thing to, or maybe it isn't actually. You can tell me whether it is. Sadly, yes. How do people work better together? Uh-huh. Um, but where did that drive come from for you to think? Actually, do you know what? There's a real application for mm. AI in that in that sphere. Well, I think what what got me really excited. I was not um, particularly a tech geek growing up, um, so I I was always very interested in people and how people worked and you know, what, what made them tick and why they did what they did. Um, I My undergraduate degree is in English, actually, okay. which I was such great preparation for what I do now. Yeah, um, but, yeah. It was brilliant because just you get so much information on people and subtexts and you have to process lots of it and there are no absolute right answers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's something that, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to, but definitely true in the field of AI Mm. there is no perfect model absolutely god I wish there was but um, and actually focusing on perfection quite often lead you down the the wrong way for a business but um, yeah so so what got first made me think oh actually you know AI in particular could help um, you know people work better I suppose was that when I looked at work and I looked at the problems that are coming up the same problems come up again and again and again and it's basically two problems. It's one, people doing the wrong, are in the wrong job. They're just not somewhere where they enjoy the work, where they naturally do it well, where they feel good, where they fit. It's just difficult. Mm. They're in the wrong place. Yeah. And the other problem, um, which is sometimes confused with the first problem, is that learning's hard. And it's hard in lots of ways. Um, it's hard to know what you should learn sometimes. I mean, someone tells you, okay, Guy, um, you're a data scientist and you've got to communicate far more effectively with our production engineers. Okay, what are you going to do tomorrow morning? Yeah, true. I mean, it's... it's, So there's that kind of just not knowing what to do. Um, And then there's knowing, okay, even if you know what... You've got an idea of what you should say to those production engineers or what you should ask them. Well, but... How do I do that? Because I've seen six people do it quite differently. What, you know, what's right for me? What should I do? Because I'd rather not try five different ways mm. until I get to the sixth one that works. Because, you know, I'm going to be really depressed by that, and I'm yeah. never going to want to talk to a production engineer. Sure, yeah. So yeah. I think that there were lots of problems that were around data, making sense of data, and actually where the art, the real intelligence bit of artificial intelligence comes in, it's the personalising it. And I think probably going back to what we we started talking about, all those movies where people are talking to their computers. Yeah. 
I thought, you know what, we're actually living in an age where that could be real. Mm. And that could do, it could do some really bad things potentially, it could yeah. also do some really, really good things. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I always am amazed when you kind of think about the concept of artificial intelligence because the, the kind of yardstick really that we're, we're judging AI on, I suppose it's kind of a set of behaviours, isn't it? A kind of set mm. of um, patterns that kind of emerge out of an algorithm or an application. But the only real yardstick that we've got to measure that against is, is kind of human behaviour. And you know, human behaviour at the best of times is difficult to predict or, you know, is it, is it it's... it's not binary in, in lots of ways um, and I think as humans and we had a, a chat about this I think at our first meeting but you know we like to believe that a computer is never going to be able to replace a human mm. in, in our sophistication and our complexity and our uh, way of working you know um, I'm always reminded of uh, at university I did um, a module in biopsychology and I read this really good book uh, by a guy called Matt Ridley which was uh, Nature by Nurture yes so if you read it, but oh, Matt Ridley's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, how you know, as humans, we think we're like the most sophisticated thing on the planet, and uh, originally it was supposed that humans had you know 100,000 genes that made up the, you know the, the human, and then um, actually when they cracked open the genome, they realised it was only 30,000 at the time, uh, and then most recently it's been found actually it's only 24,000, <laughs> so it's going lower and lower, and you kind of compare that to. Uh, you know, I think a, a fruit fly has 14,000 genes, you know, so we're not too dissimilar. Yeah. Um, so how do you kind of equate that to, you know, is human behaviour predictable, you know, mm. from your experience uh, based on, can you, can you actually use an AI programme to predict what a human is going to do? You know, what, what do you think? Well, I think that a lot of the time we, we ask the wrong question. Um, it's not so much can a human, can a, an AI system replicate a human. It's actually thinking, well, can an AI system do produce the output that we expect from a human? Because um, you know, when you look at how AI systems work, I mean, they still are working on binary logic. I mean, it's they. You know, in the end, it's ones and zeros. Mm. If you look at how humans work. We work differently. Um, there are things that a two-year-old finds incredibly easy that no computer in the world can do to this day. Yeah. Um, the reverse is true as well. And I think that when you're thinking about predicting human behavior, we, we've made, made the mistake. And that's not just people who work in technology like us. It's you know, a lot of researchers have made the mistake of expecting humans to work logically. Mm. I mean, economists have talked about homo economicus, economic man which, one, leaves out half the population <laughs> who are not male. Um, kind of person. Or maybe more, <laughs> more who, you know, now, now we can self-identify, maybe more. Um, but also, we don't make rational decisions. If you look at um, this great book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Dan Kahneman, okay. who's a behavioural psychologist, and he studied how people make decisions, how people learn. Um, he's, he won the Nobel Prize for economics, actually, a few years back. And his big theory is that there are, there are two ways of thinking that humans do. There's the thinking slow, which is a bit like a computer. It's working out stuff, going down the logic trains, you know, comparing data. Um, and we hate doing that mm. because we're designed to be really energy efficient. And our brains take a third of the energy that, that our body produces, and if you think our, bo our brain is less than a tenth of the weight of our body, 
you don't want the brain working too much. Mm. So most of the time what we do is we think fast. And that is basically learning from experience. When people talk about general artificial intelligence, they generally mean that thinking fast. So you can transfer learning, you can come to snap decisions. Even when we look, our eyes, we don't actually take in everything in the environment. We look for anomalies. I was absolutely amazed at that when I, I, I did that at university. It's so true, isn't it? Your visual system is such a complex... You know, you take it for granted, you see, oh, yeah. you see something, but actually the, what's being transmitted to our brain is not a lot of actually the, the real stimulus in the real world. It's your, your brain actually making up a lot of it based on that. that's a lamp over there and I can identify with that yeah, as a lamp. Yeah, so I'm just going to assume. Um, absolutely. The, I think the, the, the phrase... Uh, I remember from university is the brain's a cognitive miser doesn't like to do more work Absolutely. than it needs to do to kind of come to that conclusion. we're all lazy and being lazy is a great thing because being lazy makes you clever that's good to know I'll tell my teachers that <laughs> they uh, accuse me of being lazy quite often <laughs> it, it does because if you're lazy you find out the fastest easiest quickest way to do something it's true I suppose and that's what humans do I mean we are built for purpose and I mean things like with our vision the fact that if you um, our peripheral vision is really useless for identifying things. It's brilliant for detecting movement. Yeah. Um, it, also, we we our vision is we, we look at people in a really different way to objects. Mm. Um, so th- there've been all these these experiments where say you have people with masks on or mm. very heavy stage makeup, yeah. and someone look a human being looking at them doesn't actually recognise different bits of the brain light no. up doesn't recognise them as a person. Mm. So I think we're built for purpose and. You know that purpose mostly was living on the savannah seventy thousand years ago, but not entirely because we're still evolving. I mean, yeah, we, absolutely. you know, the gains in um, in intelligence over the last last hundred and fifty years have been absolutely. You know, t- I think it's two statistical standard deviations. We've got all got smarter yeah. in the rich world. Why is that? Because our lives got more complex. We're working machinery, and that's mm. been built in right now to our biology um, but that, I think that you know going back to the sort of the AI and humans I think we're built for a particular purpose and that purpose isn't just work when we're looking at AI we're building I mean we're we're doing the natural selection um, and we're building it for a purpose and I think mm. you know we That's need true. to be a bit more curious about really what that purpose is and what do we actually want that purpose to do mm. Um, something that nature does through you know pretty crude and nasty lots and lots of experiments and most creatures that have ever lived are dead now mm. their descendants just stopped yeah. Um, yeah that's true actually yeah you don't really sort of tend to think that but obviously AI is human made isn't it you know, it's, 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 it's up to us how we use it and, and indeed why we choose to develop it um, but yeah and it can tell us a lot about ourselves too I mean that's yeah. one of the fascinating things when you look at a system that has been made by um, by humans, it's not just. I don't know you. You can take very very simple systems, and it it's not just the um, the objective that that human had. It's all the other assumptions, and I mean some of the the scandals around um, you know sentencing soft prediction software for criminal justice that has been seen to be racist or discriminatory in other ways. That's building in the assumptions of the people who programmed them. And actually, it's been a great way of servicing some of those assumptions and really making this question, huh, are we getting, are we targeting the right people? Mm. Are we actually providing justice for all? Because when it's coded, 
like that yeah. in ones and zeros you can't hide behind it nowhere to hide a space yeah it's space almost work in reverse won't it sometimes yeah, yeah. absolutely that's yeah. really interesting i suppose on that note then it probably makes sense for us to talk a bit about your uh, your businesses and kind of maybe some of the findings that you found mm. there's been any kind of really interesting findings that you've uh, you'd like to share from either you know uh, Weevolve or, or Project Kindy but uh, yeah do you want to give us a bit of an overview yeah sure um, actually why don't I give you quick examples from all the businesses I've done um, the first one the the entrepreneurial non-business I mean this is one I work for a big um, traditional professional services company and they did nothing much in technology and it, this was um, 1999, it was a dot-com boom. And I started looking at bits of tech and I thought, oh, this is interesting. This will enable us to reach markets that, as a consultant, you know, who charges a ridiculous amount of money a day, and also there's only one of me, mm. it's limited how much work I can do. If you have a bit of software that can be interactive, that can be in some way intelligent, Actually, that can do some work, cheaper, scalable, great. Makes I mean, sense, I'm lazy. Yeah. I'm lazy. I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do the work. Um, and what what this bit of software was was it was a coaching system for teachers, okay. because um, my company had done some research into what made a good teacher, and one of the things that makes a good teacher is creating um, the, con- the sort of the feeling in the classroom where where kids say, yeah, I feel safe, um, I feel really curious, um, I feel challenged. Um, there were five or six dimensions that actually, when you looked at, if the kids said, yeah, these are all good, what happened was three years down the line, those kids did really well on their exams. Right. So what this software did was actually help teachers, one, see, well, how are your kids feeling? And what are the areas where maybe they're not feeling safe? And then, okay, what can you as a teacher do about that? Um, and the, the real learning from that came when we first, we built the system and um, yeah, had, had, we're doing the beta testing of it. And one of our first focus groups, a teacher said, um, oh, I really love that system. And we said, great, that's, can you tell us why? Well, I think it's really because it was a computer and it wasn't gonna tell me I was stupid. And I thought, my God, that's actually what is wrong with so much management. Mm, People are scared because if you actually reveal that you don't know what's going on or you try something, someone's going to tell you you're stupid. And there are ways in which a technological, a built system, it might never be as great. Well, right now, we are nowhere near being as good as a very, very good, not even the best, but a very, very good human but you know what? We've cut out that bottom quartile of really terrible bosses and colleagues. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. so that that was a thing. Um, yeah. Well, that's well. Then that is a match point. Actually, the big match point was a business where we thought, look, if you can just get the right people in the right jobs, won't that make things better in the workplace? Because I think the average tenure is something like eighteen months. Um, is that for any particular type of job or just average across? That's, um, that's the average across. Um, it does vary. I mean, obviously, you've got some jobs like, I don't know, working on a cruise ship where inherently you've got lots of fast turnover. You've got mm. other jobs where you've got longer training periods. It's slower. But um, almost anyone you talk to will say, yeah, it, actually getting the right people is difficult to find the right people. You know, once we, we hire them, they don't always work out. 
And when you look at, you know, we talked, you, you, you were asking about, can we predict human behavior? You know what, actually we can really, really accurately. Um, do we? No, mostly not. I mean, when I say really accurately, I mean, if you look at um, just predicting how well people can work, there are lots of other ways that, I don't know, maybe, maybe we can't predict what humans will do. But if you look at job performance, then actually there's been lots of meta-analysis, so studies of studies, which I always trust a bit more because individual studies yeah, can maybe just apply to a particular population or, yeah. frankly, it might have been a bit dodgily done. If you look across the board and you're getting the same message, that's probably something we should rely on. Mm. And so when you look at meta-analyses of actually what, how can we identify in advance top performers? Right now, if you use the most reliable methods, you'll get it right almost eight out of 10 times. Really? Yeah. yeah. So far more than random. Yeah. Um, and if you look at like normal recruitment, um, you know, normal kind of rec recruitment procedures and what's happening in most companies right now, it's about three times worse. Mm. So actually there are, there really are predictors of you know of of how well people will do work mm. um yeah and and that's and that's just you know those predictors are i mean a lot of that is how somebody's thinking and solving problems because a lot of work now is about solving problems sure. um but then some of it is very specific to the particular role mm. um so yeah it's, and actually at match point we drew on a lot of um very very good research um and what was so exciting was actually seeing it in action again. Yeah, I, mean, I bet, yeah. Going to, going to, I remember going to our, actually our very first client, which was a cruise, it was a company that did staff for cruise ships okay. and events and things. And this was a couple of years after we decided working with them. And we had a meeting, you know, general, how are things going? And they said, um, you've made such a difference to our business, this has been great, um, but we've really been wondering where you get all these great people from because the people we've hired that came through your system have worked out so much better they've they've stayed longer they've been better performers it's been wonderful we hadn't actually found any candidates we all we did was we used our ai if somebody applied for a job with this company they'd probably submit a CV or something I'm not quite sure what they did but then they would be told okay we'd just like you to come and play some games do some tests that's the bit we did okay. and then we gave recommendations to the company okay these are the things that are really great about this candidate here are the thing, questions that you might want to ask to know more here's more information here's a rank list so all the candidates that we gave them were ones they had already Really? It was just that they'd been rejecting the future stars. Fair enough. And that you was were really just looking, measuring certain. We were measuring what mattered. That, yeah, yeah. And whatever they were measuring before, actually, the wrong place, they yeah. were looking in the wrong place. Yeah, that's really interesting because I'm fascinated about the the relationship that AI will have with recruitment because yeah. I think people have been trying to replace the recruitment industry with technology for quite a long time. And don't get me wrong, I think yeah, recruitment definitely. It's quite antiquated in a lot of ways, really, and technology actually could be used to really kind of um, 
achieve scale and kind of you know leverage mm. um, you know uh, contact with people because it's a very kind of draconian kind of antiquated system of you know you want to speak to somebody you pick up the phone you speak to somebody 20 times a day and I think yeah. technology actually can be used now with like the video technology and things like that yep. where you can you can physically get your face in front of people multiple times you know but a click of a button um, but uh, so I think there are certain parts of uh, recruitment which can always be um, you know, enhanced by technology mm. and certainly like you say actually you know, I'm thinking from when you were talking there if I was to be able to sit in front of a client because at the end of the day a client is paying me for my opinion you know when I meet yeah. somebody they're paying me for my opinion on is this person going to fit well with, with my business mm. um, whereas if I could sit there with some form of kind of empirical evidence you know proof yeah. of you know <laughs> this is a system that we've We've, uh, we've used to kind of uh, quantify why I think this is going to be a good person. I can really see a value for yeah. that. Um, but I still think, you know, we're a way away from being able to, um, you know, totally replace. Because it's a, it's a people industry, isn't it? You know? Well, and, um, and everything is in the end. I mean, the example you give, which is, is a great one of, you know, you're sitting there and you've got some evidence that you can take and that adds to what you can give to the client. That's how it works best. I mean, it's a brilliant example in um, in Daniel Kahneman's book actually, because his first job was um, he's he grew up in Israel and in Israel compulsory military service. Yeah. So halfway through his studies, he had was sent into the air force, and it wasn't a great fit for him really. He because he came he was a psychology I think maybe still an undergraduate maybe doing his masters by that point. He had all these super ideas for how you could basically automate pilot selection and right. you could use the latest research and I don't think you use software, but, you know, pens and paper. You, you could replace all these assessors who, let, and actually, let's be honest, the assessors were lousy. They were not predicting who was going to be a great pilot very right. well. So he came in and you can imagine how the assessors liked him and his, he put in place his system and it was better. Right. But it wasn't hugely better. And also everyone hated them. So what he, he said, more by luck than anything else, and one of the reasons I adore Daniel Kahneman is he admits that some of the greatest <laughs> things actually just happen by chance. Yeah. Um, he said more by luck than anything else. And he said basically because he was going home and crying every night because everyone was so mean to him. He said, okay, okay, let's try this. We'll do my system of this, um, you know, scientific um, objective assessment of these factors will give you, assessors, the results, and then you read all the results, and then you make up your mind. Mm. Now, he did this as a political thing, and, you know, because it's not nice to go home and cry every evening. And what happened? The predictive accuracy shot up. Because there is something about, I mean, I was talking about how humans and... um, well, silicon-based intelligence just work in different ways. Yeah. And there was something about those two different ways that came together as far greater than what either could achieve by themselves. That's really interesting. And I think the same is going to be true for... Yeah. most areas of life I suppose so yeah it's two types of intelligence isn't it you know, one more maybe gut feel intuitive one more binary and, uh, and clear yeah. and why not why would, they, why would it not be those two forms of intelligence together actually make a hybrid form well, of intelligence which is far more predictable and far more uh, set yeah. so. it, it, I mean it's diversity in action mm. and yeah. there's you know as we've been looking at diversity it's not just about you know different genders different ethnicities different orientations or worldviews. the more different thinking and different experiences the more difference there is in the room 
in general, the better the decisions. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. you know, now we've got something really different and really powerful. Mm. Um, and I think some of the learnings that we've had from how you manage different sorts of people in, in workplaces, in, um, well, God, in our own personal lives, mm. are really, really applicable to how we and AI work together. Because I can't see a future, even if we get something that approximates to the general AI of the movies, I don't see a future where that is going to be running things separately. Mm. Um, I don't think that's going to work, full stop. And also, I don't think we want it. And you know, actually, we're the ones who are in charge. I think that's that's what we're worried about, isn't it? Yeah, if it does run itself separately or decides to run itself separately. (laughs) (laughs) Then we should be really nice to it so it still wants us around. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really, uh, really interesting. I think, yeah, like I say, diversity is key. It's it's, uh, it's a great philosophy in all walks of life, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. Um, So, perfect. Well, um, I really enjoyed the conversation thank you very much for uh, coming in and having a chat with us it's been really eye-opening um i always like to end uh podcasts with um, asking you for your favorite piece of advice that you would like to pass on to your fellow um mankind or lady kind or humankind it doesn't need to be specific about ai it can be anything you like any particular piece of advice that you uh, is a favorite of yours that you care to share i think um well there are two pieces of advice that have both meant a lot to me um one is something thomas jefferson said to his daughter actually when she was she got married thought this was the biggest mistake of her life and wrote to her dad to, to complain um because you know not having whatsapp in those days you had to, <laughs> had to get your quill out, get quill out yeah. and he wrote back and he said you know you you can't you can't love only those who are perfect and if you if you if you only love what's perfect the world's a desert for your love and I think that, you know, there is, I mean, like I, I said, in, in, when you're working with AI, there is the impulse to try and make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's something you have to resist all the time because that's not actually how the world works. The world is inherently messy. Um, and, and that's great. So I think there's that bit of advice. Um, the other bit that actually really has resonated with me is, um, you know, we've talked a lot about what people think about people and AI and how predictable people are and something that comes up again and again in my world is you know what I'm not really a people person um, everyone's a people person that doesn't mean you have to go and work in marketing mm. um, but it does mean that actually nobody all the data scientists I've, I've interviewed for Project Kindy every single one of them has got where they they are now has achieved their greatest things through interactions with other people absolutely so yeah. everyone's a people person and you don't have to be the cliche absolutely right yeah I'm reading a book at the moment actually by Dan Pink uh, called To Sell Is Human and oh, okay. um, really interesting it's all about obviously there's sales roles in the world but actually most jobs exist where you're doing some form of non-sales selling obviously you're, you're interacting yeah. with other people and you're you know, you're, you're uh, listing the result you want through your interactions with other people. So actually everyone's a salesman, they just don't realise it. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting actually. But uh, no, really they're, they're two very, very uh, interesting pieces of advice to so say thank you very much. Um, so yeah, lovely to have you. Thanks very much for it's coming It's been a real again. pleasure, Gary. Uh, look forward to, uh, to catching up with you soon. Yeah, thanks very much. Take care. Bye.